0: I tell you what, uh, 20 years ago this week, um, our, our family walked into New Life for the first time, and um, I tell you what, over those 20 years, there's a few moments in our church family's history that are just seared into my mind. Good times, difficult times, times of God's amazing provision, and um, just, just great times of, of worship and great times of, of relying on God. And I tell you what, this morning is one of those moments that I am confident that, that 20 years from now, um, I'll, be, I'll be remembering today as, as we worship in this place that, that two weeks ago um, was not a, uh, a glimmer in our eye and uh, we know nothing about. And so praise God for that this morning. My name is Ryan James. I'm one of the elders here. So grateful uh, for everyone uh, joining us this morning and so grateful for this place. And so I am curious this morning, and I'm just getting my bearings so I know where everybody's sitting so I can get my call-out people um, in line when I need. So um, I'll, I'll get you, don't worry, um, even if you're hiding in the back row middle. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, I'm just curious this morning that as we look back on our lives, how many of us have a, whether it's a pastor, a youth leader, small group leader, um, someone like that, a spiritual leader in your life that really made an impact, that, that really stood out. Um, I know I, I have one that stands out to me, Pastor John. Um, uh, Steph and I grew up in South Dakota. I went to a small Baptist church um, in the middle of the country. And uh, Pastor John, uh, really a, a unique guy. He grew up in Wisconsin and um, he was a pastor in a community of farmers, and so it, it just made for a unique fit, and so one time when I was a junior in high school, we went to Chicago for a missions trip, so we had about, I don't know, there must have been about 20 of us farm kids from South Dakota, and um, Pastor John and a couple leaders, and we went to a really inner-city urban area of Chicago, and I'm telling you what the, the Cultural diversity in our area of the world was like, were you Swedish or Norwegian? That was the extent of, of, of that sort of idea. So here we walk into uh, to, you know, urban Chicago, and I'm, I'm kind of weighing the situation. And, and the very first night, uh, on Pastor John's leading, about four or five of us guys, guys only, um, we went for a walk in the neighborhood. And we found a park, and these guys were playing softball there. And if there's one thing that we did in our church in South Dakota, we played softball. And so we could play softball. And so we joined in with these guys. But I'm telling you what, these guys sounded nothing. They they looked nothing like us. The language they used was nothing like we would use. And I was sort of sizing the situation up. I'm like, how will Pastor John react to this? And he was the coolest character and just took everything completely in stride. We played softball with those guys for, you know, at least an hour that very first evening with their Chicago. And I tell you what, that has impacted me to this day. His bandwidth of being able to walk into that very strange setting and be able to relate. And we built relationships that night that we continued on further into the course of that week. So any other quick examples that, that, that somebody has you might want to share? Barb? Mm. a pastor that's not passed away taught Barb and Sam about faith and prayer, and the a life group leader and a pastor sam any others Matt yeah Craig. Craig was impacted for you he impacted a lot of us so so yeah we've got so many um so many of those examples, and so um, anyway, to, to be able to, to launch our day today and, and with a spirit of dancing and praising the Lord, these guys are going to show a quick video pl- clip that sort of emphasizes what we, what we got going on today. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Whoa, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth, and the angel was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Yes? I used to get such a kick out of watching you work up your sermons. And now? It's different. I see the stage, I see costumes. It's show business, isn't it? Well... It's the only way I know to... uh, ...reach people's emotions. So, unfortunately, for as, as many examples as we had in my initial question, um, some of us have stories that reflect a little bit more like Ariel from which movie? Footloose. Footloose, of course. Uh, the real Footloose. I'm getting commentary from, from the front row. But uh, um, Ariel in that scene, she's, um, she's, she's questioning her pastor, in this case, her dad. And that while as a, as a kid, she had a huge amount of respect for what he did, how he prepared. And now as her life has carried on and she's seen him in person, up close and personal, she's now wondering, was it all for real? And um, while it would be awesome to have a full sermon today talking about um, and reminiscing about Great pastoral leadership, um, where we are in Malachi today, we find ourselves in a place where God is providing some, some criticism and, and some rebuke and, and hopefully some standards that, that those of us that, that, are, that play the role and take on spiritual leadership, and, and those of you that may one day, or currently are, um, play the role of a spiritual leader. Um, for people. And so as, as, as I can personally think of a few examples, unfortunately more than a few examples, where along the way that, that um, folks in spiritual leadership have, have gotten distracted. They have lost the, the sight of what Scripture teaches. They've lost the, the core of why they do what they do. And it impacts lives. The outcome of that, as I'm sure, as I'm saying these things, I'm sure, and for many of your minds, you've got pictures and experiences that are flooding your minds of experiences you've had or you know others have had. And so, it's a um, it is a very, very important topic that we face. That we recognize the the value. That God puts on spiritual leadership and the and the standards that He holds us to. So, two weeks ago, uh, Greg, back in two facilities ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ancient history. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg shared out of um, the latter half of Chapter One of of uh, Malachi, and in that passage. it was was really a kind of a a critique of the priest in that there was a lot of offerings being brought that weren't the best. People weren't bringing their best. And so it was kind of a critique of the priest because they were bringing the offerings for the people, but it was kind of also a critique of the people because the people were bringing, you know, sick animals, um, blind animals, just not the best of their crop in in their offerings. And so, it, um, it, was, it was kind of halfway, both ways. And so now in chapter 2, we, we turn the page a little bit, and the critique becomes much more emphatic, specific to the priests of the day. And so one thing I was curious, you know, have you guys heard of the constructive criticism sandwich you know, like if, you, if you've if you got some tough news to share, you know, people recommend that you, you come in. Well, you know, like like maybe I've shared with Jared and Ricky, maybe not so long ago, I've said, you know, Jared and Ricky, you guys do a great job of setting up the pre-K area at church on Sunday morning. I mean, the, the, it's ready for the kids to come. And then then I kind of shifted gears. Up, but you know, we need you to stay with the kids once they're there. And... and not like go sneak in, listen to the sermon. We, we kind of need you there. But I appreciate your desire to get in and hear the sermon and worship. But the pre-K kids, they, they need somebody to watch. So, you know, that's the, the, the construct your criticism sandwich. So that's not at all what God did here. That's not at all. So it's like completely opposite. So if you flip that on end, God went with a, with a, a criticism, a nugget, of, of standards and expectations that we can all take with us. And then another just big hit over the head with a hammer as, as a criticism. So as I read through this, I want you to pay attention and um, see if you can identify those, uh, those aspects of, of criticism and, and truth. So turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 2, 1 through 9, <clears throat> all the way through that passage. And then we'll we'll break it down a little bit. So here we go, Malachi chapter two, verses one through nine. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold. I will, rebuke you. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave to him it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you dispel and abased before all the people inasmuch as as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Ouch. Those are strong words from God. Why do you suppose the, the absolute emphasis in that critique? Well, Before we get going today, the big idea that I want everyone to walk away with, and you might want to write this down, is that God values spiritual leadership. He clearly defines and enforces expectations of leaders and considers it a noble task. God values spiritual leadership, clearly defines and enforces expectations of leaders, and considers it a noble task. So to, to understand this value of a spiritual leadership, we need to back up literally from the beginning a little bit. Um, so God created, God created the heavens and the earth, and then Man was a part of that, and then there was the fall. Sin came into the world. Not too long later, sin had overcome the world, and God destroyed the world with a flood, and only Noah's family was left. Just a few generations after Noah, you end up with this guy named Abraham. Right? So God really chose Abraham just because he chose Abraham to be the starting point of a nation. But then as we drill down with Abraham, Abraham, a son named Isaac, Isaac had a son named Jacob. And of that son Jacob, who ultimately had his name changed to Israel, we get 12 sons of Jacob, 12 sons of Israel that give us the nation of Israel. Okay, so everybody following me? That's where, that's where we get this whole idea of the nation of Israel. That's how we go from the, from the start to, um, to where we are at the place of this story. Now, when you have the nation of Israel, they went through a lot, but ultimately, they ended up in slavery in Egypt. And that's when this guy enters the stage named Moses. This guy named Moses comes along, and he, you know... Says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Thank you, Kendall R. <laughs> and so after, after nine plagues to convince Pharaoh to let his people go, there was a 10th plague where the, the firstborn of Egypt were, were killed. They died through the angel of death. God came through, and by his providence, he took the lives of the firstborn of Egypt. But the, the people of God, God's chosen nation of, of Israel, they were instructed to put blood on their doorposts. And so the angel of, the, of death would pass over their homes and their firstborn would be saved. That's where we get the term Passover. And that's what is celebrated in Passover um, to, to this very day and it has been for generations. And so the, the next step is, because that, that allowed um, Pharaoh to, to grab some sanity and let the people go. Once he sacrificed, he, was, he lost his own son, Pharaoh said, go, get out of here. And so the people left, and, and the nation of Israel was, was off wandering for a long time. What happened soon thereafter is God said to Moses and Aaron at the time, he said, I... I, I took the lives of the firstborn of Egypt, but I reserved the lives of the firstborn of Israel. And so, in, in memory of that, in recognition of that, I now get to reserve one family out of Jacob's kids, this guy named Levi, who, now, the, Levi was long dead, but his descendants were, were still there, and said, I'm going to take those that family of Levi, starting with Aaron, and And actually, Moses was in that family, too, because they were brothers. But Aaron specifically, and that family from here on out, they're they're special to me. They are the priests. And I've got special roles for them. They're my spiritual leaders that this whole nation will look to. You'll bring your sacrifices to them. And they really don't have to work outside the, the context of spiritual leadership. The tithe that you bring will provide for their needs. So it made them very special all the way back at this time when the Exodus was happening. Now, just one more bit of context. This is about eight, so the, the Exodus is about 800 or 1,000 years before Malachi's writing. So we're, we're reading in Malachi, and Malachi is a prophet of God. He's taking God's, bringing God's message forth. But, but the Exodus happened so long ago, but nonetheless, We find ourselves in Malachi asking ourselves the question of, why the harsh language, God, right? Why the cursing of blessings? Why this extreme? And the reality is, is that God protected the people of Israel. He reserved their firstborn to to bring them out of Egypt. And then he said, because that group didn't die, they are extra special to me and this group of Levi's. I lift them up. They're going to carry my message, the message of God. They're going to carry it forward. And you know what's important? That's important. And it's going to be important. And it's 800 years later, but it's still important. No matter what you guys are doing with your lives, priests, it's still important, and I'm going to enforce it. And so that brings us from that day up until Malachi's day. This idea of spiritual leadership At the Exodus, in Malachi, a thousand years later, and today, it's important to God. Spiritual leadership is valued by God. So, let's back ourselves up then to Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to go through those verses just quickly here, starting in actually, we're going to back up. I'm going to steal a verse from Greg from two weeks ago. If, if uh, the final verse of that passage of chapter one says this Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And we're going to roll right into chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So what's it mean when God says, I will curse your blessings, priests"? you know what? I don't know. What's a blessing in your life? What's a blessing in my life? I'd say, you know, my, my kids, my job, my family, my house, they're blessings to me. God says here that if I don't listen to him, he'll curse my blessings. At times, I can give blessings to others. I can provide a meal. I can provide a home. I can provide lots of things. Well, that's a blessing to others. God just says, I'll curse your blessings. He'd be Perhaps willing to curse me, he'd be happy, perhaps willing to curse others if I don't listen to him and obey that summary of, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. That these priests needed to listen to that. And then he, he actually said, you know, it was sort of an if statement that he gave him, if you will not listen, affirming that, that they could. And then he sort of caught himself and he goes, You know what? I've already cursed them. Because you're not. It's clear you're not. So, you know, you could have, and some of you maybe still could, but I've already done it because a lot of you aren't. So get it straightened out. That's really what, what God is saying through uh, through Malachi here. And then, and he gets even more personal. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. Um, a, a, a little while after the Exodus, you may remember this uh, this priest named Eli, and he had, he had two sons. And they were, they were serving as, I don't know, priests, or at least serving helping their dad at the temple in those days. And they were doing things like, eating the food like they wanted it done. There was really special instructions when you sacrifice an animal to God. You had to cook it in a certain way, get rid of all the fat and, and this or that, but they didn't like it that way. They wanted to leave the fat in where the good taste is at us. Who knows why? But they were disobedient. And you know what God did to them? And not to mention, they were sleeping with the women that were serving at the door of the temple too. And so they, they had nothing going for them. And you know what God did to them? Was God gracious and forgiving and, and loving to those guys? No, he took their lives. You know why I think that is in, in, in decent part? It's because Eli didn't do anything about it. God values spiritual leadership. He values those things. And when they aren't heated, he's serious about it. That's why these commands are so serious. And then we, just for good measure, we got to finish up here. And And he spread dung on their faces. All right. Growing up on a farm, I've dealt with large animals. I've dealt with, you know, I've, I had kids. Um, I, you've got, you know, I've accidentally walked through dog, you know, Poop is bad when it gets on you, right? I mean, it's just bad. I've, you know, dealing with farm stuff, you know, I've, you get it on you and you just need to get it off you. That, because what if you go to town and pick up a part or whatever? You don't want to have dung on you. And so here you've got God saying, I will spread dung. It's not, I'm not going to throw it at your feet. I'm not going to get it on the bottom of your shoes. I will spread dung on your face. That's nasty. <laughs> That's just horribly nasty, and you got God doing that. That's God. Is it, you know. If it's figurative, it may, may be figurative. I think he's trying to make a point here that folks, spiritual leaders of the day, I'm serious about this. And then for good measure, he says, you know what? In fact, I'm just going to carry you out to the dung pile. That's what he views the response to this sort of leadership, quote-unquote leadership, it gets carried out into the pile of dung where they put everything after the sacrifice and they take the innards and the guts. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible and God's serious about it. So, um, so that, that's, that's a, uh, it's just a clear picture of God's picture and vision of spiritual leadership. It matters to him. And so, now we get to this nugget in the middle where God lays out some expectations. And in verse, uh, in verse 4, it says this. And it kind of follows up, you know, I'm talking about the dung on your face, all this. This is all, so you shall know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave it to him. It was a covenant of, of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So here's God laying out a picture of, you guys are doing all this? It's 800 or 1,000 years later, but I set the standard 800 years ago. And I don't have any question marks there. I put a period at the end of it. I gave life and peace to them, to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe. Of my name. And so the first expectation that God lays out here for the priest is that he fears him. I love how the New American Standard Version puts it. It says, I gave life and peace to them as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. This idea of life and peace, you know, life brings life from a death situation. When we are sinners, when the priests were sinning, they weren't bringing life to a situation. When they were ministering in a non-prudent way, they weren't bringing life to their uh, congregation or their temple goers. They were bringing death to that situation. When they were sinning, when they were disobeying the way they handled the sacrifice or allowing a a half-hearted contribution, that was not impressive. That was not the way of God. They were, they, were, they were disobeying God, and they weren't bringing life and peace. When God was saying, all you got to do is obey what I said. All you got to do is treat the sacrifices like I said, because after all, my name is the important thing in here. Not what you want. Not what you think is best. Not what you want in that moment of something that tastes better to you. Are you kidding me? I set this up a thousand years ago, and it's not going to change for you. So get it figured out. It reminds me of of the gift of life and peace that we enjoy in Christ. It's It's a foreshadowing. It's a look ahead as as we are reading God's words in Malachi, some 400 and some years before Christ even came to earth as a baby, there's this foreshadowing, and so we're looking back 800 or 1,000 years at God's implementation of spiritual leadership, and we're looking forward 400 years, and when we think about, it, and I, th- I think that all sermons lead to Ephesians 2, I don't know, at least I don't preach that often, so I can use it every time anyway, um, so Ephesians, Ephesians 2.1, when you're talking about God bringing life and peace, Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then you jump ahead to verse 5. And even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive... I'm sorry, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace... You have been saved. And then jumping a little ahead in that passage to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. There's that word again, life and peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Praise God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He gives all of us today. Now, you know, 2,400 years later than, than what we're talking about today, we have that gift of life and peace through Christ's death and resurrection. Praise God. Amen. And, you know, it just, it just flows through the, you know, Paul's epistles. You've got... Um, all the way through the the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, later on, therefore, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And there's examples in Romans 5, 1, and all over the place in Romans, this picture of, of God's spiritual leadership happening, not only in Malachi's time, but him valuing it today. So this idea of of fearing God is the first expectation of priests. And in some ways, that's a, a picture of, it's kind of the top level If you're fearing God, it's a great—the flow-downs from that just work. And so as you walk through that passage, and we move into verses 6 and 7, if you've got them there, um, he he says this, True instruction— was in his mouth, and this is referring to still to, to Levi or the nation of Levi who becomes the priest. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord. Of hosts. And so the the top level expectation there is fearing God. He stood in awe, he revered his name. The second one is that he teaches godliness. This concept that the priest was always ready with true instruction, and no wrong was found on his lips. And there's mention there of a priest guarding knowledge. It's not the idea of guarding knowledge and keeping information and keeping knowledge from the people. It's, It's guarding it for the people. It's keeping it true. It's keeping it pure. It's having it be available when needed, when it's called upon. It's a huge role for priests of that day, and it has implications as we consider Spiritual leaders and pastors and that of today. And lastly, it mentions that he's a messenger, bringing that, having it be available um, at a moment's notice. The next, right in the middle of that passage in verse six, um, or actually, uh, yeah, verse six, it says, True instruction was in his mouth, no wrong was found on the lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. I think in general, we all have a picture. Of what it means to walk with God. And I don't think it differed a lot 500 or 2,400 years ago that much. In walking with God, God was showing the priest with pretty explicit language what would happen if they didn't walk with God and what were those things. If you don't revere my name, if you don't worship me, if you aren't. Providing instruction, prudent instruction. If you, if you aren't loving and caring and providing for those people, we walk with Him. I can't help but, um, but be reminded, and how this reminds me of the term of an elder qualification of being above reproach. These three concepts of fearing God, teaching of godliness, in walking with God, it um, it is it's one in the same heart. It is the same God, and so we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. So we got those three aspects of expectations, and so here we go back with one more. Remember, this is the uh, this is the the non-constructive criticism sandwich here, right? We've got the the criticism the the little bit of, of you know, standard bearing there in the middle. And then we're going back to verse 8 here. We're going to hammer away on the priest once again. So here we go, verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And here we go. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. All right, so if you're a priest that is walking the wrong path, you've already been cursed. You've already had your blessings cursed. You've already had your offspring cursed. You've figured or literally had dung spread on your face, and you've been hauled out to the dung pile. And now we come back. Verse 9 in particular, and he says, God will make you despised and abased among the people. And I, and I don't know about Paul or Eric or Greg, but for me, I don't think there'd be a lot more painful that could be done to me than if, than if something happened that I did or something happened that someone did to me to where all of you despised me and wanted to belittle and debase me, that would be devastating. And here is God saying, I will do that personally. So priest, get it straightened out. Revere, revere my name. So where does that put us today? It's clear that in Old Testament Israel, God valued spiritual leadership. And it's clear from the instruction we have from Paul in the New Testament that God values Christian church leadership in the new covenant world that we live in today. 1 Timothy chapter 3 Verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. There's Paul teaching this idea of a noble task of the, of the lead, spiritual leading position as described in the New Testament. This message comes straight from God as the message from Malachi came straight from God. As the message of, that God implemented following the exodus of this primary importance of spiritual leadership that has run through the ages in the priesthood and now continues on in the New Testament church with clear instructions of how we formulate and how we qualify as leaders. But God says something. It's a noble task. And I'm sitting here thinking, What if I screw up? I get my cursed. I get my blessings cursed. My offspring cursed. What if if I'm not up to it? And and the answer is God and the Holy Spirit give us the ability to, to consider it anyway. We desire the task. He empowers us to do it. And so why would we consider something that has such high consequences if we fail? And the answer is, you know, we do stuff all the time like that, right? If you're if you uh if you drive, if you want to drive, you got If you mess up driving, you can hurt someone. If you're if you're a pilot and you crash a plane, you can, people are probably going to die. If you're a doctor or a nurse and you you screw up diagnosis or uh a dose of medication or, or a medication itself, people are going to be injured or die. Does that mean nobody becomes doctors, nurses, um, drivers, pilots? No. How do we do it? We follow prudent instruction, we learn, we practice, and we move forward because all of these things, in a way, are their own noble task. Things we need in our society, ways that we earn a living, and all those things. And so it comes back to why would one want to be or consider desiring a task like spiritual leader in the New Testament church, whether it be elder, deacon, in our context, you know, life group leader, D group leader. These things are are varying roles of spiritual leader. Why would we consider it? Because The church needs us. Fill in the blank of those things. The church to to move forward into the future, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church needs us. Right now, our, our elders are in our 40s, 50s, and 60s. It's great, right? It's fine. 30 years from now, we're not going to be. And so in the meantime, if we're, not, if we're not fostering an environment where Ben, Jeremy, <laughs> Elliot, Henry, Evan, Ben, if we're not fostering an environment that people, God fearing normal people are not considering the call into spiritual leadership has devastating consequences for the church. We need that sort of consideration. We need each of the guys in this room. We need each of each person in this room to be considering what those paths of leadership are for you because it has dire consequences for the church. We, our mission statement, love God, love people, and make disciples. It's critical that, and we want to do that until Christ returns. That's the picture of our church. So it's critical that that we do that as your current leaders do that, but it's critical that that all of us are aspiring to live a path that God implemented thousands of years ago. This idea of, of fearing him, of revering his name, of teaching godliness and walking with him. You can sort of lump that all together, and make that one giant qualification for spiritual leader. Are there more specifics than that? Sure. But if we start there, and we remember how important that is, and how, not because I said it, because God set the standard, and the consequences that he laid out in Malachi to me that just demonstrates his heart on the whole thing. I mean, I've seen it play out. Don't get me wrong. Churches destroyed, families destroyed, all of it. It plays out, trust me. You don't want to practice it. You don't want to go look at it. Let's just go look at Malachi and see what God thinks of it. And then we let's come back to a our own situation, and let's go back to our quiet time. Let's go back, get on our knees. Let's go back and honor him and fear him. Let's go back, and as we have opportunity to teach godliness, and as we have opportunity every single day to walk with him. Dear Lord, we're just grateful for today. We're grateful for your, your true word. We're thankful for Malachi bringing this word from God to us that reveals his heart and the importance of, of spiritual leadership. And it just shows us and defines for us how you want us to lead and for everyone in the room, how you want us to live. But God, we ask in particular today that, um, that our church be a place that fosters spiritual leaders off into the future, that, that you lead and guide that and that you put in the hearts of future leaders to seek that out and to live in such a way that puts them in position to be able to take on that mantle, even though the stakes are high, because you're good to carry us through. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.